So uh, there's this, this passage is, um, is interesting. And, you know, I've never preached out of this passage before. I've, I've preached out of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 a ton, but I've never preached out of this particular Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, which is far shorter than Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. And um, before I get into that, I just want to kind of state kind of what the main idea of the passage and also kind of explain to you what the title is. The title is, Faith Comes Through Hearing, and Hearing Comes Through the Word of Christ. And that comes from Romans 10, verse 17. We're actually not preaching from Romans 10, 17. But I think that passage goes well with what we see in Luke 6, 17 through 26. And um, the, the hearing of the Word of God and the, the message of Christ and the power and the words of Christ, the authority that Christ's words have. Of course, we, we see in the beginning of the story that Christ. Power is revealed through the healing. He heals diseases. He heals, uh, cu- he cures people. We see that that tangible power, but there's also power in the word of God. And so they came to hear him, and then immediately Luke talks about his teaching and gets into his teaching. His teaching has power. So the main idea is the word of Christ is the hope for the world that will transform the heart of those who believe. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ex- introduce this with a little bit of showing my, my nerdiness and my geekiness a little bit, that um, if you've ever seen the back of my car, I have the, the TARDISes from Doctor Who. Um, it's like the, the mommy TARDIS and the daddy TARDIS and the kids. Well, you, know, you see those, the Star Wars stickers? Well, we have a Doctor Who family sticker. And my, it was funny, my grandfather thought they were, um, um, thought they were porter potties. And he said, why do you have porter potties on the back of your car? And I'm like, well, they're not porter potties, they're TARDISes. It's a time machine for, from Doctor Who, it's a British show, and he, he, you know, he didn't get it because he hasn't watched Doctor Who. But it's kind of funny to explain to people that you have a time machine on the back of your car. It's hard to kind of hide your kind of shame that you have this sticker on the back of your car. It's something that you enjoy and that's something you like. This is corny British sci-fi show. But I was watching it recently because the new episode, the new season starts this Sunday. So if you're a Doctor Who fan, make sure you mark it on your calendar at 8 o'clock that uh, Doctor Who is coming back. Um, but also that, so they've been showing like 13 like days straight of Doctor Who episodes, and I've caught a few, uh, I, won't, I won't deny, I've caught a few of these Doctor Who episodes, and there was one that I thought was quite interesting because, and I, I had forgotten because it was so old, and I had forgotten um, this particular storyline, but one of the, and if you don't know anything about Doctor Who, this may go over your head a little bit, but Doctor Who is an alien who travels in this blue box, and it's a time machine, and he has these, um, these, these, these people who will follow him and, and, and join him on his journeys and his adventures. And there was one particular one where he visited this little girl. And this little girl ended up growing up and, and traveling with him. But this little girl meets the doctor and just basically falls in love with him. And just, just, sees him as somewhat of a savior to her. And she's alone and her parents have passed away. And she's just by herself and she's lonely. And the doctor comes and helps her and she... The doctor leaves and tells her that he will be back, and she puts on her coat, she puts on her hat, she packs her bags, and she sits there on the ground waiting for him to come back. And you see her just waiting and, and hoping and hopeful that he returns, that she can journey with him and travel with him, and so she would be rescued by him. And it made me think of just the hope that is present in these in this verses right here, that Christ presents this hope and that we, 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 these, this promises that for those who are poor, for those who are hungry, for those who are hated, for those who are mourning and weeping, there's hope in the word of Christ. 
So let's get into this a little bit here in uh, verse 17. We see kind of the, the first point is the state of the kingdom, the state of the kingdom. And we uh, are familiar with the state of the union, right? The state of the union is the one time a year in January when the president of the United States talks to the nation, talks to Congress, and basically states the, the state of the union, how, where the country is currently, kind of his, his interpretation of how the country is doing. So he basically he reviews basically all the things that, you know, as a president he's accomplished and the things that he wants to do in the coming year. And so what we have here in verse 17 is basically a summary. We have a summary of like basically what Jesus has done up to this point. We see that it says that a lot of people, it talks about his popularity. He, he came down with, the, with his apostles. He stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples. Now, these disciples are people that followed Jesus. Um, we think of the, the great crowd of disciples, the, the disciples, these crowds started following Jesus, going back to Luke 4.14, when Jesus began his ministry. When he, went, when he went down to Capernaum, they were astonished at his teaching, uh, for his word possessed authority. They heard him speak. They wanted to follow him because he spoke with authority. Reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Reports about Jesus were spreading throughout Galilee, and people were very interested in Jesus. All those who, had, who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he had laid his hands on every one of them, and he healed them. So he was healing people, and he was teaching with authority, and people were following him. They were, they were going wherever he was going. They sought him. They wanted to come to him. They wanted to hear him teaching. They wanted to be healed by him. It says that the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake. And so they were so enamored with him. They were so interested in him. They just went wherever he went. They sought him. They wanted to be healed. They brought other people to be healed. We remember the story of the paralytic man. These friends bring their crippled friend to be healed by Jesus. The crowds were pressing in on him. Many believed in his name in uh, John 2, 23 through 25. When they saw the signs that he was doing. So when they saw him do such a miraculous things, they followed him and they were disciples. They followed Christ. Now they weren't part of the 12 apostles. Remember we talked about last week that there was 12 men that were set apart to be apostles. They were disciples. But then Jesus called them out to be apostles. So we're not talking about the apostles here. We're talking about the group of people, this large crowd of people that follow Jesus. Then we have a third group here. This third group is that says there's a great multitude of people from all over Judah and Jerusalem and the seacoast. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So this, this multitude of people that were, they, they just had heard about Jesus. They, they, wanted to, they, wanted to, they wanted to see him do things. They wanted to see him teach. And so they came from Jerusalem throughout Judea to come all the way to Galilee to hear him speak. They see him do a miracle. Even those from the seacoast. So Jesus was at the height of Jesus' popularity. This is the, the, the max uh, point of his popularity that there were so many people that, that sought after Christ and for many different reasons. Some wanted to, were curious. They didn't really believe in him. They didn't believe he was the son of God. They were just curious about him. Some were Pharisees who were, who were trying to actually persecute him or put him in situations where they can kind of 
uh, claimed that he was a rule lawbreaker or bring up opposition. There there was opposition to Jesus. There were some that actually legitimately followed him. And what did they do? We kind of see the accomplishments of Jesus. Like I said in the State of the Union, you know, you, you explain your accomplishments for the year. So we see the accomplishments of Christ. He heals tons of people. This is those that came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. So Jesus was curing people. He was healing people. He was teaching people. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. His message, his healing, his power was on display here throughout Jesus' ministry. And this created a popularity. Jesus was quite popular. The problem with all of this is the insufficiency of physical healing and the sufficiency of Christ's words. See, the problem with it, we, and I will kind of go back to John chapter 6, what happened was is that there was a lot of people that thought Jesus was curious. They thought Jesus was, was, had power, but they didn't really believe that he was the Son of God. They didn't really come to see his words and believe his words. They just wanted to see a miracle. They just wanted to see a sign. They just wanted to be healed. They wanted nothing more from him. They didn't want to claim him as Lord. They didn't want to claim him as King. They didn't want to claim him as God. They just wanted to get something from him. And so in John chapter 6, when we see that Jesus says, eat of my bread, eat of my body, and drink of my blood, this is causes, causes them to not want to follow him anymore. And a lot of them rejected Christ and left Christ. And maybe even this, and Jesus said, are you going to leave me too to the apostles? And the apostles said, where else would we go? We've left all these things to follow you. So many people... Jesus had, had grown in popularity, but there will come a point where they will no longer want to follow Christ anymore. I mean, when we went to the end of the story when Jesus is crucified, what do we see? A crowd of people yelling, crucify him, crucify him. So Jesus' popularity reaches this height, but then it, it starts to dwindle. It starts to fall. Because they wanted something from him. They wanted him to reveal his power. They wanted him to conquer the Romans. They didn't want to hear his words and believe his words. So it's interesting that Luke, right after this passage, immediately goes to a teaching of Christ. His power comes out of him, and then immediately we don't get a healing story, do we? We get the Sermon on the Mount. We get the teaching of Christ, starting in verse 20. The values of the kingdom. So there's an insufficiency to physical healing, only the sufficiency of Christ's words. You have to believe in the words of Christ to be a follower of Christ. Just because you are healed of your diseases does not make you a Christian, does not make you a follower of God. If God miraculously healed you from cancer, that does not make you a Christian. You have to believe in the words of God, hence the the name of of the sermon. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. The physical healings of Christ are insufficient to actual faith an actual salvation. Only belief in the words of God or the words of Christ will save you. And I think it's important that we understand that. You know, for some of us who went to Nepal, that was, a, that was an inter- interesting story that we heard that a lot of believers in Nepal came to Christ through healing, right? The problem with that, though, is all they did were healed. That would not make them a Christian. They actually have to believe in the words of Christ. They have to believe that Christ is the Son of God that died on the cross, rose from the dead, 
conquered sin and death, and belief and trust in Christ and the gospel saves you, but healing does not save you. It's important to note that. The value of the words of Christ. So the second point, we'll get through, through from verses 20 through 26, is the values of the kingdom. The values of the kingdom. There's a picture of the, of the U.S. Capitol there. The reason why I have a picture of that is to show you that where the values of a, of a kingdom are, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the, the, the values of the American culture in, in, in contrast to the values of the kingdom of God. So, what did he, so he's speaking to his disciples. Now, the way that I see that is that he's speaking to the crowd of disciples, not just, just the apostles. He's speaking to the disciples, those who have claimed to follow Jesus, those who are who claiming they believe in Christ. So he lifts up his eyes on his disciples. He's not speaking to the, the multitude, this great crowd who were not disciples. He's only speaking to his disciples here. He said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the ones. Okay, so obviously in our minds we can go, okay, these people are blessed. These people are favored by God. These people are ones that God has turned his eyes upon and his face upon and favors them above others. Blessed are the ones. God's favor on these. He says he starts off with the poor. Blessed are the poor. Now, you have to understand this term. We're not just talking about economics here. We're not just talking about someone who doesn't have very much money or no money at all. Now, I think it's important that Jesus does use this word poor. Because when you think of the word poor, you're thinking of someone who doesn't necessarily think he has it all together. That's someone who's going to usually carry themselves with a bit of arrogance or pride if they're poor. There's a sense where there's a sense of shame, there's a sense of humility if one is poor. So I think in that term, in that word, it does help us understand what Jesus is talking about here. But ultimately, he's talking about the one who is poor in the spirit, one who is who understands their, their, hum, their humbleness before God, their sinfulness before God. Uh, king David, I mean, David was a king. king. David writes this in Psalm 47, 47. As for me, I am poor and needy. The Lord takes thought on me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. So King David is claiming to be poor. He's not poor. He's a king. But he's poor because he's recognizing himself as a sinner before God. He is poor and needy, and he needs God's deliverance. He needs God's salvation, and he recognizes it. So David is humble before the Lord. And I think that's how we define what poor is. Blessed are those who are humble before the Lord. David in Psalms 86.1 says, Incline your heart, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Psalms 109.22 for I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. Again, poor is speaking about humility before God. And this person, blessed are ones who are humble before God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, verse 21, for you shall be satisfied. Again, hunger, we think of food, right? You know, I'm hungry. I don't ha- I'm, I'm starving. I'm, I don't have food. I'm, I need food. But there's something deeper with this term. We're not just speaking about food and not having food. We're talking about the hunger for righteousness, as Matthew says in Matthew 5. You hunger and thirst after righteousness. But I think it's important, again, to use this term hungry, because we understand what the word hungry is. We understand being lacking food. 
and panting and wanting and desiring food to bring in your body, to bring you, you know, restoration and to, to kind of quench that hunger. Psalms 42, 1 through 2, the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for God. We think of this imagery of a deer who is, who is exhausted and tired from running and needing water and how he finds the water, how it brings rest to him. We have these deers that will run across our, our, in our neighborhood. They usually come out at night. They come out of the woods. And there's a lake right past, like right across from our, right across from our house, there's another house. Right behind that house is a big lake. And you'll see these deers always running across the road trying to get to the, to the lake. You have a big, I mean, a, a, several of them were running and, and across this road. And you can actually, the other day I had to stop because they darted across the road like really late at night and I didn't want to run into them. And they're running to the lake, and they're wanting water, and they're panting for water. And I think this, this imagery helps us understand this aching for God and God's word. We think of, again, hunker. We ache for food, and we struggle to, uh, we fixate our minds all day to, to eat, right? We eat three meals a day, most of us do. Maybe some of us don't eat breakfast. But we, we regularly fix our minds to feed ourselves, to, to quench this, this desire for hunger. But yet we struggle to ache for the word of God, don't we? We struggle to ache and thirst for the word of God. And some of us can go weeks on, on, on end without ever opening the Bible. Some of us go a week on end without actually being with other believers or, or joining in worship with other believers. And that is a problem because we would never think about that with hunger, would we? If we were hungry, we would find food and feed ourselves. We have to understand this hunger is this hunger for God and wanting to be satisfied. The word of God brings satisfaction to our hearts, not signs or materials. A lot of these people, these crowds of people that were following Jesus wanted signs and they wanted food and they wanted materials and they didn't really want the word of God. He says again, blessed are you who weep, for you shall laugh this idea of weeping over their sin. So weeping here is about repentance. We see weeping and mourning. We, uh, uh, Pastor didn't talk about Job and his mourning over the death of, oh, a lot of things being taken away from him. And you see him mourning and weeping. And you see David after, after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, and he's weeping about his sin. So when we think about weeping here, blessed are those who weep. Blessed are you who weep and mourn over your sin. You're repentant of your sin. You're sorrowful. Your sorrow leads to repentance of your sin. And that's how we should see this, that blessed are you who weep over your sin. You're constantly weeping and mourning over your sin. that leads to repentance. A few passages here is James, uh, James 4, verse 9. Read that for us here. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Sorrow leads to repentance, and we should seek to mourn for the sake of our sin and the sin of other people. You know, the sins of the world, when we see sins in the world, it should bring us not only anger, but it should bring us mourning and weeping, because sin causes God to weep and mourn. And it should lead us to repentance and confession in our own life and the, the repentance of our own family, and even Job would go and sacrifice and, and for, the, for the sins of his family. We should also pray to God for the sins of our family. 
The last one here is blessed are those who are hated. Blessed are those who are hated when people hate you and they exclude you and revile you and it's pure name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap up for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Now, this is not saying that these people are constantly hated when people hate you. So this is that occasionally when people, because of your faith in Christ, they hate you and they revile your name because of your faith in Christ Jesus, because of your love for Christ Jesus, they will hate you. Due to your association to the Son of Man, they will hate you. You even think of the, the early Christians in Acts 4, 1 through 3, in Acts chapter 6, 8 through 12, how they were expelled from the synagogue because they worshiped Christ, because they believed in the words of Christ, because they believed in the Son of Man who died on the cross and rose from the dead. They were hated by the Jews. They were arrested by the Jews. Uh, we think of Stephen in Acts chapter 6, how he was kicked out of the synagogue, and how he was taken to the authorities, and how he was stoned because of his faith in Christ Jesus. This is something that Luke will talk about in the book of Acts. And what does he say? He says, rejoice in that day when they hate you, and they expel you from the synagogue, when they expel you, they uh, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. I love that term, leap for joy. It's the same term and the same phrasing that Luke uses in Luke 141 when he talks about John the Baptist leaping in the womb when he hears about Jesus' coming. The leaping of joy. Acts 5.41, they left the presence of the council rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Acts 16.25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God after they were arrested in Philippi and the prisoners were listening to them. You see this rejoicing and this joy when people hate you and persecute you. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy when others hate you or or expel your name. For he says... For you, and he presents all these different for you. These are your, this is the, uh, the, uh, the result of your, of, of your character or your being a part of the kingdom of God. Because you are poor, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Because you are hungry, you shall be satisfied. Because you are weeping, you shall laugh. Because you are hated, you shall be given a reward in heaven. So this be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord the Lord, in, the, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So you can strive and, 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 and persevere through all these things because you know that God's grace is upon you. Not only is it upon you now, but it will be upon you even greater in the future. The kingdom of God is yours, and the kingdom of God is given, and the kingdom of God is for the poor. We said this in Luke 4.18, though the kingdom of God is given to the poor and to the needy and to those who are captive. The kingdom of God is for the poor, the humble that you shall be satisfied. Even in your hunger, you shall be satisfied in Christ. We think of the, the, the 5,000 that were fed in Luke 9, 15 through 17. They all ate and were satisfied. You're satisfied in Christ. The provision of Christ Jesus, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, David said in Psalms 23. Jeremiah 31, 14, my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. We think of the Lord's Supper, the Christ's provision. We're welcome at the table of God. We think of hunger. You, you should think of food. Because with food, when you're hungry, God says you're welcome at my table to eat. Because you are in me. You're in Christ. Christ provides for us. We shall be satisfied in Christ. Acts 2, 42 through 47. All the, everyone in the church had all things in common and had 
had, all their needs were taken care of. Even with this idea of being in the church of God, you are satisfied because the people around you are also in Christ and they care for you and love you. So you're satisfied. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be satisfied. In Christ, in the church, you shall be satisfied. It says that, it even talks about this great award in heaven, that we will be given a great reward in heaven, that you can persevere in the sufferings of this day. You can rejoice and have joy in your suffering because in the future, your reward is great in heaven. It made me think of that. Do you remember that show, Extreme Makeover, Home Edition? We loved that show in our house when I was a kid. I guess it's, like, it's, been, out for a, like, it's been out for a long, long time, and um, I remember watching it in college and high school. He had a Tide Pennington who like looked like he was on speed, like he was just out of his mind. He was like jumping up and down everywhere. You're like, that hey, has to be on drugs. And um, he was just such an energizer buddy. And um, then they had the bus in front of the house. So if you don't know the story, like they would take this poor family or a family that was suffering and lost uh, something happened to them, and so they didn't have any money or they weren't able to take care of their home. They would come in, they would fix up their house and like, like overdo it, right? They would like, they would give them stuff they really didn't need and they would like give these rooms for kids that were just like, I want to live there. Like just crazy stuff. And they, they wouldn't let the family see the house. They would send them to like Disney World or something. They'd bring them back, put the bus in front of the house. And the big words like, move that bus, right? And all the crowd would say, move that bus. They'd move the bus and the family would see the house for the first time and it would be full of emotion. They'd be crying and hugging each other. And it made me think about that. Like, you're suffering, you're going through life, and, and you're just, you're, you're, you, things are just not going your way, and you're thinking about your position in Christ. And it's that moment where you, you look at Christ, and he says, move the bus, and you see the reward you have by being in Christ. Like, that is amazing. And sometimes we focus so much on what we don't have right now, and we forget what we have in heaven that just completely is worth comparing to the lack of things we have on earth. And this is what it's all about. It's not about being healed. It's not about getting what you want. It's about believing in the words of Christ. This is what the whole passage is about. He talks about the cursed ones. The cursed ones are the rich. Uh, those are the ones that are, are full now. They are laughing now. People speak well of them. We think they're the blessed ones. The Bible and the words of Christ said they're not the blessed ones. They're the cursed ones. Woe to them. It's not about abundance in your possessions. It's about being in Christ and trusting his words. They've received all the things that the world has to offer, and it's not worth comparing to the rewards in heaven. We have to believe in the words of Christ. It's not about getting what we want here. It's about being in Christ. And so I want to just quickly compare the values of heaven, the values of kingdom, the values of America, because we've been caught into this value system and believe that's how we should believe and that's what we should hold. And there's an article, it's fascinating, it's an article that they, uh, for refugees, so if you're a refugee coming to the United States, you can read this article online, it tells you what the values of America. So this is like presented to people 
who are coming to the United States trying to get to know what are the values of America. And just a few of them are America is very individualistic. Right? So if you're coming from a very collective culture, just remember that in America, it's all about self-reliance. It's also about competitive. We, everything, everything in America is competitive, right? Kids are competitive. Parents are competitive. We live in a world of competition. We will even spin it as it's a positive thing to be competitive. Time and efficiency. Time is money. It's everything about time. And If you waste time, you waste people's money. Live to work. Being busy and active is also seen as good things. Consumerism. And because we value work, because we value competition, because we value individualism, it's so that we can be consumers. We want to keep up with those around us. We think owning things, an owner of big houses and owning newer cars, shows our success at work. These are values of America. I'm not making these things up. I'm not trying to create something to make a point. These are something that someone wrote to give to refugees who come to the United States to help them understand what America is about. And so I want to show you the differences between those values and the values that Christ presents. Those aren't the values that Christ presents at all. Humility over self-reliance. Hunger for righteousness over competition. Repentant heart over perfectionism. And obedience over success. So we can't get caught thinking that I'm blessed because I have all these things. When Christ says you're blessed and favored when you have the things opposite of what American values are pushing. So to be Christian is to be counterculture to the world around us and the kingdom around us. So the last point here is the power of the kingdom. Again, we were talking about all the power of God. God. Christ revealed his power through his healing as he healed diseases and cures. But also his power is revealed through his teaching. And believing the words of Christ and what is in the power of the word of Christ. And just to kind of show you, just to encourage you, that if you read this passage and you go, you know what? I'm one who cares very much about money and I'm hungering after money, and I'm a lover of money. If you're one of these people who, uh, you know, I have a lot of things, and I don't really feel like I need God for anything. I feel very content with everything that I own, and I don't really feel like I need to depend on God for anything. If you're one of these people who you laugh, and you're just full of life, and you just are completely absent-minded about your own sin and about the evil of the world, and you're just carefree and completely uh, separated from what's going on around you and not really caring about what's going on around you, you're just, people speak well of you. you, you you're, you're not controversial. You never say anything controversial. You never talk about Christ at work because that's too controversial. You want people to like you. You want people to respect you. You want people to honor you. And you don't want to put that at risk. If you're one of those people and you're reading this passage, the Bible is saying, cursed are you or woe is you. I want to give you some encouragement. Because if you believe in the words of Christ, it will make you one who is humble. If you believe in the words of Christ, it will make you one who hungers after righteousness. If you believe in Christ, you will be one who mourns and repents over your sin. If you believe in Christ, you will be one of these who are hated by people. And so the encouragement in this is the grace given to those who believe in the words of Christ. And it is power to transform your life and to transform you in every possible way. And I want to end with this, that the gospel of Christ will make you humble it will comfort you with this hope that if I believe in Christ, Christ will provide. 
It will give you a proper perspective on yourself and the word world, that the world is not perfect and you are not perfect, and that you have sin in your life. It will adjust your priorities and not so much be so enamored or so concerned about what people think about you, but you'll be, your priority will be more about how you want to honor and obey Christ's word, and it will destroy joy in your heart. It will give you joy, as it says here in this passage. That joy will be given to you when people are persecuting you or hating your name. Joy will be given to you in Christ. I want to read this last little thing here uh, about a story. About there's a, a university of st- students at a university that wanted to uh, answer the question, what is people's biggest regrets in life? So they went to New York. They put up this big chalkboard, and they said, what are your biggest regrets? They kind of said that on the back, on top of the chalkboard, and they kind of left it there. They put a camera up to kind of see how people would fill in the answer. And they provided all these colored chalk, and, and uh, so it attracted people walking by, and it soon filled the overflowing with written regrets that were, that were thought-provoking. It said burning bridges, I guess burning like relational bridges, uh, never speaking up, never being a good husband, should have spent more time with family, staying in my comfort zone, never saying I love you, never applying to med school, not making the most of every day, and not being a better friend. As the board filled up with many different stories, notice that almost all their regrets had one thing in common. Nearly all of them involved the word not. They were about chances not taken. They were about words not spoken. They were about dreams never pursued. They gave these same people an eraser and wrote clean slates. And at the top of the chalkboard, as they erased their regrets, one woman had tears in her eyes. She said, I feel hopeful. It means there are possibilities. I state this story because none of us are perfect. But all of us want hope. We want hope that there's actually uh, hope that we can change, that, there, that we can change who we are, that we can be a different person. And this is what these crowds were doing with Jesus. They wanted to be different. They wanted to change. They wanted something to happen. They wanted to get out of their rut. They wanted to be healed from their disease. They wanted something that would inspire them. And the thing is, is that if you want to change, if you want to transform, you have to believe in the words of Christ. That's where the authority is. That's where the hope is, is in the words of Christ. Believing in the words of Christ and your life will be changed to reflect the values of the kingdom of God and not the values of the world. God's grace on the humble, the spiritually hungry, the repentant heart, and the hated. God's grace is upon you. And if you're one of these who, are, who reflect the woes, you have hope as well. You have hope in the gospel. You have hope in Christ. If you believe in Christ, you will be one that God's favor will be upon. And you will be changed. You will change to be one who is humbled. You will be changed to be someone who, who understands that I need righteousness and I want to hunger and thirst after it. You'll be one of these people that, that want to, who mourn their sin, that literally when they make mistakes, they mourn it because they realize that they are offending a holy God. And they realize that, that when people hate them for their beliefs in Christ Jesus, they are full of joy and rejoicing because they know that God will provide for them and that God will sustain them. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you've got me, helped me get through this. When my voice is not good, uh, Lord, I pray, Lord, that people heard your word. Lord, I pray, Lord, for people here who, who are far away. As your word says in Ephesians 2, they are... Uh, far from the common, they're strangers to Christ. They're separated from Christ. Uh, Separated from the commonwealth of Israel. Separated from the promises of God. Without hope and without God. Lord, 
We all need to be transformed. We all need hope. A life without hope is a life not worth living, Lord. The only hope is in Christ. Lord, as, as we've learned from the stories of the gospel, the hope is in believing the words of Christ, the following him, putting our trust in his words, trusting, Lord, that if we believe in his words, that he will transform us and that he will replace the sin with, uh, in us and replace it with joy. And all of us want joy, Lord. All of us want to understand that we are, that you love us and that you care for us. And Lord, I pray that you would help people understand that we can only have your grace, we can only have your favor, we can only have your love when we are in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that, that people would trust in Christ. Lord, we praise you and we love you. We pray, Lord, that if anyone in here is struggling with just materialism, struggling with just uh, unhappy, Lord, because they don't have what they think they deserve, they're not happy with the things that they uh, wish they had, they're comparing themselves and their lives with others and comparing the stuff that they don't have with others, Lord. Maybe they regret a lot of things and not doing certain things, Lord. I pray that your, your grace would be upon them, Lord. Lord, I pray that they would confess their sin and that you would bring them hope, Lord, that you would bring them love and that you would bring them peace, that you would restore them to yourself. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Thank you.